0: Afternoon, Savannah. It's your girl Cherie with another episode of Courageous Conversations with Cherie. So happy to be with you again this Thursday. Hope you're doing well, you and yours, you and your family. Today I'm bringing you another very special guest. On so last week we were talking about how to live sensationally, and guess what? As there is with life, there is also death. And so we're going to have a very courageous conversation about how do we navigate the dying experience. And I have someone that is so, so profound to me. She just doesn't know how uh, delighted I am to have her on the line today. But we're going to jump into that in just a few moments. Before I jump into that, let me jump into this and let you know that you are listening to. W-R-U-U-L-P, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Sounding's community radio with Global Soul. And the viewpoints expressed in the following program are not necessarily those of W-R-U-U, its license holder or its staff. So who do I happen to have on the line today? We have the one, the only, Barbara Carnes, RN and best-selling author herself. I should say award-winning author herself. Barbara, are you with us? I am with you. Hello there. Glad to be here. Fabulous. I am so delighted. I sent an email uh, just pretty randomly, actually, to your assistant. And I uh, wasn't sure who was going to respond or if i get a response at all. And was so delighted when I saw, I believe this is Julia. Yes. Email from her. Yes, I saw a response. I, yes, I was so excited to see that response back from her. And I, I would just like to enlighten our audience here and around the world to let them know that. Uh, and I wrote it, actually wrote it in my book. I have my book here. And uh, I wrote in here in the back, almost the very uh, last page, where you have a blank sheet in there that says notes. And what I wrote, Barbara, was received during my mom's hospice stay in Charleston, South Carolina, on, in December of 2014. I have no idea what specific date in December, but I, she passed on December 18th, so it was that, that week. And I misplaced it. I could not find this booklet since 2014, it's been six years. And I found it during this COVID-19 pandemic uh, this last week on April 3rd, by happenstance. I don't say by accident, I do not believe in coincidence. I believe it was so divine that I found it. And ironically, it was in my file cabinet, I was about to do some tax work uh, to do our taxes for the year. And I, it was in there. How it got in there is still a mystery. It doesn't matter at this point. But I just was so excited when I finally found it. I think this is so important. So please let me allow me an opportunity to love on you publicly, first of all, to say we lost my mom very, very quickly to two forms of cancer. It was non-Hopkins lymphoma and leukemia. Uh, after about six weeks, total of 12. Uh, from the time she was diagnosed to the time she actually transitioned, and during that last week at hospice in Charleston, one of the nurses gave me your booklet, and let me tell you, I believe this is what really helped me navigate that particular time, a very special time, but in light of what our world is experiencing right now, and in a way to serve not just the families of uh, loved ones that are transitioning, but the healthcare workers, etc. I thought this conversation was just paramount, and wanted to honor you and get on and serve uh, our listening audience. So thank you so much. You are you have been my angel all this time, and this is our first time talking. Well,
1: it it really helps to know. What your loved one is experiencing when you're at the bedside and you know they're dying. Because, you know, it's not like in the movies. Uh, and yet, most of us don't know that. That's our only role model. And so, I wrote this booklet to help families and significant others understand what mom was doing. Um, as she was dying.
0: That's how yes. that, yep, that's where that came from. That We're going to unpack that in, in just a moment, but please allow me to roll out the red carpet as I do every time I'm on the call uh, with a very special guest such as yourself, and let me uh, tell everyone who I'm actually speaking with. And, and I love this. This is what I'm actually going to put up, is we are listening to today, Ms. Barbara Kahn. She's an RN, but she is also the award-winning end-of-life educator and nurse who wrote the hospice blue book, Gone From My Sight, The Dying Experience, observed from the bedside and written in non-medical language for families, Her booklet, Savannah, listen, this is not a 9,000-page novel. This is a 13-page booklet, and I tell you, it changed my life, and her booklet changed the way that I personally experienced death of my mom, and it will also experience the way you uh, will experience or have experienced the death of a loved one. And I love this last part, and we're going to jump into our conversation today. Knowledge reduces fear. Let's start there, Barbara, if you don't mind. What do you mean by that? Knowledge reduces fear. We,
1: we I think one of the biggest fears that we have is fear of death. And like I said, all we have is, is the movies as role models. And people don't die like that. But So when we're at the bedside and we see mom's breathing, her facial expressions, her body movements, most people think something pathological is happening. When really, um, mom's probably doing a great job of getting out of her body. Um, I learned as a hospice nurse, I was at the bedside of hundreds and hundreds of people in the months before they died, right up to their moment of death. And what I realized is that first, there's only two ways to die. And that's either fast or gradual. And fast death is getting hit by a truck, it's a heart attack, it's suicide. And gradual death is from old age, where your body wears out um, and it stops and you're dead, or disease. Disease is one of the ways that we get out of this body. And dying a gradual death has a process to it. It doesn't just happen. If it just happened, it would be past death. So I learned this process. And if we can understand and know what the process is, then we've reduced the fear of the moment. So the knowledge comes in knowing that this is how people die and mom's doing a good job of, of dying, of, of doing what's normal and natural. And that in itself reduces the
0: fear. Okay, so you have dropped, as I always say, a lot of golden nuggets in just that one response. So I'm going to unpack it a bit and try to ask you, some questions that may our audience may be uh, thinking as you were just speaking. Here's what came to my mind. and I just want to recap. you said, while obviously you've had the uh, privilege, I'm sure you would count it a privilege to be at the bedside of millions, possibly thousands of people. And you said that there were two ways that we will all die, either fast or gradual. Fast meaning instantly, And you gave examples such as suicide, accident, so forth and so on. And then you said gradual, uh, old age or disease. Uh, I wanted to ask a question, or these are some of the questions that popped in my head as you were speaking. Fears around death or myths associated with dying, like such as, will the person suffer? What is that dependent on and what do we mean as a family member outside looking in, not in the actual experience itself, but uh, how, what does that mean? How would you define if a person is suffering or not when a loved one, for, we could take this incident right now with the pandemic, COVID. This is a, uh, from what I understand, I'm certainly not a medical expert, but it's a repertory, respiratory excuse me, system. A disease. And so I'm a, a recovering asthmatic though, so I do know the struggle of actually not having um, your full breath. So from that standpoint, when someone is uh, suffering just the inability to actually breathe on their own and then obviously the last breath before they pass, is that considered suffering? Or how would you explain suffering as it relates to dying and the dying experience? Okay, let's start
1: with dying itself is not painful. Disease causes pain. And so we're looking at someone dying a gradual death, you're going to look at their disease process, see if pain was part of their disease. And and there's a lot of diseases that people die from that pain. By the same token, there's a lot of diseases that people die from cause pain. So you're going to look at their history. If pain has been part of their disease, then you're going to do absolutely everything you can to manage that pain and to have the person comfortable. If pain was not part of their disease, then just because they're dying doesn't mean that now there's pain. We tend to think of a person being alert and responsive one minute and the next, and a gradual days to hours and sometimes even weeks before death, the person is more removed from not just this world, but even from their, from their body. Everything for them is like a dream. Um, they're not alert and aware in those days to hours to minutes before death. Pain management, that's a whole nother workshop, another, a whole nother conversation. But what we need to know is that, okay, let me say this, how we take care of someone at end of life is different than how to take care of someone who's going to get better. Most people don't know that. And so how people die is going to be judged by how people get better unless we teach them otherwise. And that, again, is where knowledge reduces fear. What we try to do is help people understand that mom's doing a good job. Mom's doing what she's supposed to be doing. It's like um, a little chicken, you know, works really, really hard to get out of their shell. So it is when we are in the days to hours to minutes before death, we're working really hard to get out of our physical body.
0: Okay. So that unpacks, or at least open up, I believe obviously an excellent segue into my second question, which is uh, when people say someone is waiting for us to release them, like my mom or my dad or loved one, whoever is waiting for someone to release them your point of the transitioning, that person that's actually dying, um, is, it, is that a myth that they're waiting to be released? Or is that willpower? How does working really hard, either to stay alive or to transition and actually die, how does that come into play, the working real hard? Is it willpower? What is that? Well,
1: I've I've learned that there's dynamics to dying and that we have limited control over the time that we die. We are going to die the way we've lived and according to our personality. Um, And so because we have limited control over the time that we die, Yes, we can limitedly hold on a little bit longer until son gets here from California. Or the other side of Mm -hmm. that is true. We can hold on a little bit longer until daughter goes home for the night so that we protect Mm -hmm. her. Um, So we have limited control. If you're with someone when they die, you at the moment of death, you are with them because they want you there. And if you're not with them and you tried to be and you wanted to be, then let go of the guilt and take the gift of love and protection that that person gave you.
0: Both ways, it's a gift. That is, that is absolutely beautiful. And that has just blessed me because I didn't tell you uh, the last few moments when my mom actually passed. The day before she died, my, mom, my sister and I, my sister lives on Hilton Head. I live about 45 minutes away. And my mom was an hour and a half away in Charleston. So the day before she actually transitioned, I came home, my sister was there. And so I wasn't there. But moments, literally moments, I took two steps into my mother's room, heard my sister say, I think we need to call the nurse. And I had literally just walked into her room. And the ironic thing was that when I got to the facility, the door was unlocked. It's usually locked, like you can't get in, you have to buzz to get in. I walked straight into the facility, walked straight into her room, took two steps. Mom took her last breath the moment I stepped in that room. It was unbelievable. So I, it was a gift of love. I absolutely agree. Yeah, she gave you I, a gift. I love what she She gave me a gift. But I, I wanted to ask you, what did you mean by... Um, You were talking about the dynamics of dying, but that we die according to the way we live. What do you mean? I mean that just because
1: we're dying doesn't mean that our personality changes. If we were ornery and cantankerous in living, then we're probably going to be an absolute monster. In the months to weeks before we die, because dying doesn't change our personality, it intensifies it. So if I'm laid back, Mm. easygoing in my personality in life, then I'm going to be a little marshmallow when it comes time for me to die. It doesn't change who we are. Dying simply intensifies it.
0: Wow, that's pretty
1: fascinating. It is. And it's, you know, it, it took me a long time to figure this out. Um, and I guess our fantasy is that um, someone's told they can't be fixed and they've had a really tough, honry, hard life. And now suddenly they're going to be all loving and cuddly and that's not going to happen you know, and yet that's <laughs> right. often, often what
0: we want. Well, Now, let's just back up a little bit. Why did you write this particular book? I mean, I've read it, obviously, and it totally helped me. It's so small, but yet so powerful. What led you to write this book? Well, as, as you said, someone's not going to
1: read an encyclopedia. They're going to, you know, read uh, when you're caring for someone that is approaching death, that you've got to have something simple, easy, fifth grade level, short. Okay, so here, I was um, on call one night, a hospice nurse, and I am sitting in the living room. It's probably three o'clock in the morning, actually, and I've got the family around me. Mom's in the bedroom. Um, and the family called because they were scared. So I've mm-hmm. got the 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 family in the living room, and I'm explaining dying and what's gonna happen. Here's what the next few days for you is gonna be like. Here's what mom's gonna do. And as I was explaining this to the family, the daughter was taking notes. And I thought, oh. oh What's wrong with this picture? She should not have to be taking notes. So I went home and that weekend I sat down and I wrote the little blue book. I wrote what I wanted families to understand so that I could neutralize some of the fear that families had so that I could help them understand that mom was doing what she was supposed to be
0: doing. You know, that just makes me think about a favorite quote that I have that says, the two most powerful days or most important days of our life are the day we're born and the day we find out why. Do you find it or feel at all that this is like your purpose or one of your main purposes in life? Because it's pretty phenomenal.
1: Um, This is what I'm on the planet for. I mean, I know that sounds goofy, but yeah, I think that that's what I'm here for, is to educate uh, anyone who will listen about the normal, natural way the body dies. You know, if you think about it, our body has always died the same way. You know the body has was made to exist and then to die so we're born we experience and we die that's for eons since however we got here that's how the body was made how we take care of people who are dying has changed over eons and it will change again Um, But the body will always die the same way if it's allowed to die naturally. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm on this planet to help people understand this is the normal way the body is programmed to die. Uh, We can jump in there and we can try and fix it. We can keep at this point a body breathing almost indefinitely. You know, we can feed them Mm -hmm. with a tube. We can hook them up to ventilators and we can keep the body breathing. We can, you know, keep it peeing. You know, we can do all that. But my question is to me, is that really living? When you can't respond, when you can't laugh, when you can't participate, there's a huge difference between living and
0: breathing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, audience, I want to remind you that you're listening to W R U U L P Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. This is Cherie with Courageous Conversations with Cherie, and today we're on the line with Ms. Barbara Kahn. She is in R.N. Barbara's 30-year career as an end-of-life educator. is predicated on her experience at the bedside of hundreds of people in the months, weeks, mm-hmm. and minutes before death, as well as being involved in the care of thousands of terminally ill People. Today, I don't know. This was this was a few years back. <laughs> I'm looking at this book, but I don't know if you still do this. But it says today she fulfills her passion for end-of-life education through writing and speaking to the community. Previously, she worked as executive director of hospice and home health agencies, as well as having worked through the hospice ranks as patient care manager clinical director, staff nurse, and volunteer. I guess that would be accurate because you're on with us today on Courageous Conversations with Sheree. Do you find that people don't want to talk about dying? Well, the thing is, we have this belief that
1: other people die. I'm not going to die, and neither is anyone close to me. And so when someone close to us develops Um, an illness and is approaching death, we're totally unprepared. We've got it in our head that if I draw up advanced directives, if I talk about dying, then surely I will die. So we run around being ostriches with our head in the sand until life hits us and someone close to us or we ourselves
0: are faced with a life-threatening illness. Well, listen. I'm going to take a quick break right here, uh, just for a few announcements, and then we're going to pick up from there because I think that's an excellent segue, especially with what we, as a world, it's not even a society or just you know the Western world here in the United States, but the entire world itself um, with the COVID-19 epidemic. So. Hold the line for me, darling. I will be right back with you, okay? Okay. Thank you. WRUU is seeking to connect business and organizational partners with our diverse and passionate listeners. If you appreciate our local radio station and have the enthusiasm to cultivate sponsorship from business and organizational leaders, we have a commission-based position that might be right for you. We're looking for a non-commercial underwriting representative to take WRUU's message into the community and to further support Savannah's only community radio station. For more information, or if your business would like to support us right now, email fundraising at wruu.org.
2: This is a message from the Georgia State Department of Public Health. There is a State of Georgia hotline people can call with questions or if they think they may have been exposed to the COVID-19 virus. It is 1-844-442-2681. If you believe you're experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 or have been exposed to the novel coronavirus, please contact your primary care doctor and urgent care clinic or your local federally qualified healthcare center. Please do not show up at an emergency room or healthcare facility unannounced. More information can be found at dph.georgia.gov. Now you have a chance to support both Savannah Independent Artists and WRUU during this shelter in place order to stop the spread of COVID-19. Creatives in Need is a group of independent artists hosted by the Roots Up Gallery, which is collaborating with WRUU during this shelter-in-place to offer an online art gallery at www.rootsupgallery.com. For every work of art sold at this online gallery, the artists receive 80% from the sales and 20% goes to WRUU and its programs like Art on the Air. Interested listeners can go to www.rootsupgallery.com to start shopping today.
0: And we're back. This is Shree on Courageous Conversations with Shree, and on the line I have Barbara Carnes, RN, and author of the book Gone from My Sight: The Dying Experience. Barb, you still there with me? I am here. Sweet, excellent. So, Savannah. I know this is a tough time, very challenging time that we're in today. And uh, Barb, listen, I believe if we were just talking about, no one really thinks about death until death is the inevitable. I mean, it is the inevitable, but until it's, it's really at home, like it's on our doorstep. It's either us, excuse me, or someone that we love and care deeply about. I think that could be the testimony of many, many, many people today. Internally, I'll have care workers who are seeing thousands, like tens of thousands of people that have died um, related to this COVID-19 pandemic. What would you tell families who are sheltering in place with a loved one who may be dying or even speak to those who are caring for those that are dying now? I mean, this just kind of came upon us. So there was no prep time. Uh, earlier, you were saying that it could be gradual, it could be instant. So it's been almost instantaneous, and it's more traumatic with all the media. It's traumatic, and I haven't even had anyone to die from this particular issue. But what would you say? I'm just curious from your perspective.
1: Well, I, I think the hardest thing I'm noticing is that families are absolutely devastated that they can't be with their loved one as their loved one is dying. You know, they're at home sheltering in place. Hospitals are not letting family in uh, for the most part. There's a few, but for the most part, they're not. And this is adding to the burden that, grief is bringing to these people. Um, when someone that we care about dies, um, that's an overwhelming burden. But then to add the fact that you're not allowed to be with them. And because we don't know what how people die, we don't know the normal natural way that people die our main fear is that our loved one is suffering greatly um, and that they're all alone so what there's a couple of things that i want people to know and that Mm -hmm. is as i mentioned earlier we aren't alert And everything's aware of everything and dead the next. Those people in the hospitals that are on ventilators that um, are dying right this minute are not aware of their surroundings. They are on ventilators. They're, They're literally in a deep sleep through medication so that, that vent, so that their body won't fight the ventilator. But um, what brings comfort to me is that I know the person who's dying is unaware and non-responsive to what's going on and the chaos around and about them. Now what the family can do while they're at home, sheltered in place, is to sit down and quiet themselves and close their eyes and visualize their loved one in bed, asleep, and in their mind's eye, Hold their loved one's hand. Crawl in bed with their loved one if they want to. But in their mind's eye, start talking to the person that's dying, that's alone, mm-hmm. and that they want to, have, to bring comfort to. Talk to the person in your mind and tell them everything you've ever wanted to say to them you talk about the good times, you talk about the challenging times because there's no perfect relationship, but quietly sitting in your chair at home, you're going to talk to your loved one. And thoughts are things and Mm -hmm. that can bring comfort to the family at home And my belief is that it will bring comfort to the person that's dying.
0: Yeah, it is a matter of that. I I like that a lot. Uh, It's one of my favorite sayings as well. Thoughts become things, choose the good ones. (laughs) So while there are no perfect relationships, uh, at a time like this, I think it would certainly bring solace. To think on the good times, to uh, share from inside, from your heart and quiet yourself and in your mind and just express that love, you know, not what they did or didn't do, you know, yeah, it's so good. That
1: is really good. Now, the thing is, if you're with someone in the hours to minutes before they die, when they're non-responsive, it's a lot easier to talk to someone who's not going to argue back with you. You sit down with your loved one who is non-responsive and you talk to them. You do the same thing, only you talk out loud to them. They can hear you as if from afar, but they can hear. And so all of my idea of Doing it when you're sheltering in place is what is I've simply taken what I recommend for families to do when they're there and present is to also crawl in bed, hold the hand, whatever brings comfort to you and guide and support and love your, your person
0: through it. So that's really good. So recommendations before a loved one dies. You're saying all the things that you would do once they have already transitioned that you did not have an opportunity to do. If you have the fortunate opportunity to be with them before they actually transition, do that. Whatever brings you comfort, do that. If that's talking to them, saying I love you, whatever it is, or jumping into bed with them. I love that, that you said that as well. I My, my question was going to be, I wonder if you experience any other, any family members who have experienced regret um, during those bedtime transitions or after things they wish they had said or wish they had done. And what did that actually look like or sound like?
1: Oh, I think we always can look back. and on a really important part of our life and go, oh my gosh, I wish I had. Um, So we've all got the, the, I could have done better. I could have said this, I could have done that. And that's why I also recommend that when someone close to us dies, that we sit Mm -hmm. down and we write that person a letter and put in that letter everything you've ever wanted to say. It's not enough to think it, you have to literally write it. You've gotta have those thoughts come down through your fingers in that pen and write everything that you've ever wanted to say to this person. And then you take that letter and if you're having a funeral, put it in the coffin with them. Um, You can put it under their pillow, you can put it in their hands. If you're not having a funeral, then take that letter and burn it. And take the ashes and scatter the ashes to the wind. And that, I believe that the person that has died will get that message. And I guarantee that it will help the person who wrote the letter. Very, very much.
0: Mm, that's really good. It's like, keep, it's well, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, you just touched on, I didn't want to forget this. There's a lot of families, obviously, with what we have have gone on right now, precedent, unprecedented times, their inability to even have a funeral right now or very limited, like immediate family. And I'm speaking maybe five people. So that's another uh, shock to our system as well. But you were talking about uh, writing the letter. I love you said put it in the coffin, even burn it, let it just scatter, um, scatter the ashes. A way to keep their memory alive or even bring closure. For me, I have not only uh, written a letter, I've written a book, and I have the privilege of traveling and speaking. And my mom is always in my speech every time i get up so i keep her memory alive. i in fact we have some videos uh, that we were just looking at so i can see her face so we've been watching for fa- old very old and when i say old, it's like maybe one of my kids are like 25 25 years ago um videos and i can still see her so keeping their spirit alive i think that is so key it is,
1: and the, the reason that, and, and we can do so many things to keep a person's memory and spirit alive, but writing that letter is a, a way of putting our, our relationship in a balance as I said, there's, there's good times and there's challenging times and often happen. What often happens is the minute a person dies, they're elevated to sainthood, you know, that, that now they're the most wonderful, wonderful person that ever walked the earth. And yet when they were alive, they were, there were a lot of challenges. So, I I think that there is a a mental health aspect to writing down the positive as well as the challenges in a relationship to keep that in perspective, that it's a more healthy looking um, way of going on living.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine what you have experienced with the family. And I will tell you, I don't even think hospice care was so much about my mom, other than keeping her comfortable with medications, obviously, and allowing nature to take its course. But it, I said, um, I don't know how many times, it's really been so beneficial to the family, to me and my sisters. Absolutely. I think, you
1: are so so right it is more that the person that's dying other than comfort management and some physical care they're so removed from this world there isn't a lot you can do for them but for the family the support the guidance the education all of that oh yeah that's the key that's the main role as far as I'm concerned
0: yes well you you all have done it you did it as I <laughs> stated you have been my angel for the last six years and this is the very first time you know I feel like I'm speaking to Oprah Winfrey <laughs> today <laughs> you are my Oprah oh my god I am so delighted to be on this call with you we had never spoken before today and i had lost the book i misplaced the book but it was because of this book during that time and i promise you miss barbara my family i am the youngest one and my family was looking at me and i'm sure they probably were scratching their heads but i am a big woman of faith like i'm the youngest one but i have a great faith base and and it was my relationship with God that allowed me or strengthened me during, this t- during that time, as well as my relationship with my mom, because I asked her and I felt in my heart, based on our last, one of our last conversations that she was ready. Like she told me out of her own mouth. And so there was more of an acceptance for me that this was what she wanted. And I honored her in her own decision I thought it would be very selfish for me to hold on to her when she had already decided which is why I asked you about the whole willpower thing initially I think my mom was very very good with transitioning like she was ready to go so I didn't force the issue obviously I'm you know the young girl young daughter so baby girl and so it's like okay would you want your mom to stay of course but I knew there was something about her answer to me that I believed her and I didn't fight it. And so I was just there. And so the moment that I took those last two steps in that room, I got one, I always say this, I got my last warm kiss and closed her eyes. And that for me was an amazing gift. I cherish it.
1: Absolutely. She gave you a beautiful gift. She waited for yes. you and then she gently left.
0: Yep, she did. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So that being said, besides Gone from My Sight, what other books do um, you have uh, that pertain to caring for a loved one or someone at the end of their life or any other books that you have you'd have like to share with us?
1: Okay. Um, I After I wrote Gone from My Sight, I was getting... Letters from people around the country saying, Mom died, and I want five more gone from my sight. And I understand that because reading Gone from My Sight, the family then knows that mom did a good job of leaving her body. But I thought, people, they don't really need Gone from My Sight, they need something so that they understand their grief. So I wrote a booklet, same format, you know, 12, 13 pages, large print on grieving, on the normal way that we grieve so that families can understand what they're living with in their grief. So that was the next one. Then I realized that that hospice has changed over the years and that more and more families are alone when their loved one dies at home. And so I wrote a companion to Gone From My Sight where Gone From My Sight says, here's what mom's doing. The 11th hour guides the family with ideas of what they can do while mom's dying. You can get the dog or the cat in the bed. You can get in bed. You know, you can have uh, music playing. I mean, all kinds of guidance on what the family can do. Then dementia, more and more people uh, are involved with Alzheimer's and all different kinds of dementia. So I wrote a booklet on dementia at end of life because dementia doesn't play by any rules at all when it comes to the medical arena. And so um, the only way you really know if a person that has dementia has entered the dying process is when they forget how to eat when they start choking, can't swallow. Um, At that point is when, if you decide not to do a feeding tube, which artificial feeding, um, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, But if, if that's decided against, then the person with dementia enters the dying process. With our opioid crisis today, Families don't understand pain management at end of life. It's different than pain management in someone who's going to get better. So I wrote a booklet explaining pain at end of life. Um, What else have I got? I've got a booklet uh, for the person that's been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, a time to live, mm-hmm. how to live the best they can. What, nice. what you, All of my work um, has centered around how to educate people about how people die and to support and give them guidance so that they can, because we're ostriches and we don't tend to deal with end of life until we're, Till we have to. Um, This is short, these are short and easy, and addresses just about everything I can think
0: of in regards to end of life. That sounds, I mean, again, unintended. This is Courageous Conversations with Tree. This is, again, one of those subjects that you know no one really wants to touch. So I just want to honor you for having the courage to actually speak up, to to raise your voice, but also offer assistance. And it's just it's just amazing to me again, me finding it for such a time as this. But there's so much. You were talking about, you know, the stages of grief. Obviously I was sharing that I've gotten to that point where I accepted. And it's just a blessing that I was able to get there so quickly. But we're in the midst of an epidemic, a pandemic. This is very traumatic on so many levels. We have a contagious disease. Work, school, and even places of worship where people will go to regain that comfort level have all been disrupted. We're in the week of Passover, uh, one of the, the biggest times of worship. Uh, of the year, Easter, approaching Easter Sunday, what would you say to not just those that are experiencing death? Um, You really, quite honestly, even if we didn't have anyone in our immediate family and friends and loved ones, we're all collectively experiencing death. So what do you say to the world at large? Like, you have the mic (laughs) to speak on this. From, I, I'm still amazed. It is a 13-page booklet, but it's so profound. Like, I truly honor your life work. But what do you say now? It's like, it's, it's almost like for me, and I can say this is personal. It's like God gave you center stage. Now he's saying, Barbara, speak to my people. What do you say? Wow. Um,
1: I, I've, I'm stuttering here. I, let me think.
0: <laughs> hey, it happens on here I, I, I don't like scripts but it's and so we just go with the flow so whenever you want to answer you answer okay. our, our,
1: our lives have been totally our, our lives and our thought processes have been totally shaken up so to speak this all the, the fear, all the sadness, all the confusion, all of the frustration, this moment in time is giving us the opportunity to look at our individual lives and say, is this how I really want to live my life? You know, I sheltering in place I, I has taught me how busy I thought I was and how what's really important in life it's it's relationships, it's people. Um, it's not mm. Um, going to the mall. It's not going to the office. You know, I think that if we look for something positive in this, and it's, believe me, you all know how horrific this is, and how frightening, and how painful it is. Yeah. But let's take the opportunity to reevaluate and see what's really important in living. And maybe we want to change. Mm,
0: That's so good. I love that. And let's talk about that change because I've, I've heard and I've seen particularly on social media And there's so much noise right now. Oh my goodness. And I, although I have this platform, I felt I was very strategic with when I show up and where I show up and the people that I extend this opportunity to. The last person I had on, we were talking about living sensationally. And uh, now I'm talking about the dying experience because one goes hand in hand with the other. But taking this opportunity Reevaluate, I love that, and what I was just going to say was this thought about change. Is I've seen on social media where people are talking about going back to business as usual, I don't think it'll ever be the way it was ever again. And I think this is a great opportunity, as you just stated, for us again, an opportunity to look at our individual lives and ask, is this how I really want to live my life? And then examining what's really important to your credit, you said relationships and people, not going to the mall or even the office. That's a great moment, pause. Well, in fact, we're in a pregnant pause, like all of us, we're at home. And it's a great opportunity. I just hope more people really are conscious about that opportunity. We're down to the last, whoa, five minutes of the show. Let's well, just you know, tell people where they can find your resources. I'm sorry, what were you going to say?
1: I was, I was going to say that yesterday, um, I'm in Vancouver, Washington, and it rains here all the time. And yesterday, the sun was out, and it was like 70 degrees. And I went outside and sat in the backyard. And as I'm sitting there, I see this little bunny come out of the bushes and is running around the yard. And then the uh, yes. a whole group of crows flew over making all this noise, and I thought, Most of the time I am oblivious to the bunny in the yard or the birds flying overhead. And it, that moment made me realize what is life about?
0: Yes. yes, that is so beautiful. Let me tell you a quick funny story. Uh, I intentionally listen for the birds outside my window now um, but I had to wake up obviously like an, an awakening and now I look for it but it's so funny so London is my granddaughter she's six years old and she came in my bed the other morning and the birds were out my window and I promise you they were like Sheree, Sheree, Cherie calling my name <laughs> So I said to London, listen, listen, the birds are calling my name. Why are they waking Nana up? It's too early. (laughs) And she thought that was so funny. And if you ask her right now, she will do it. Because again, that is about creating those moments. And that is a memory that kid will never forget. Guess what? Neither will her Nana. So you're right. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, those are the so where important where can people moments. find you? Absolutely. Oh. Where can people find you and your resources? And if they have questions or want to reach out to you and write to you about end of life or anything that you shared, shared today, excuse me, where can they reach you? You can
1: reach, I will give you an email address. I love it when people write me and ask me questions. That's barbara at bkbooks.com. Um, and you can go to my website. The website is um, gonefrommysite.com or bkbooks.com. Either one of them will get there. You can look at the DVDs, the booklets. I write blogs. Every, in fact, for, during this time, I've upped the blogs to every week um, on End of Life. I have a Facebook End of Life and Bereavement group. Um, that you can join. So I am a resource for this country. Well, actually for the planet, because I have people all over the world that write to me and I write back. So it uh, need- so rewarding.
0: Yeah. Sounds incredibly rewarding. And again, I just want to love on you and say thank you. Just thank you for the gift of Barbara. I am so thankful that I've had this opportunity to spend with you today and uh, again, share you to the world. I wouldn't be surprised if you're on some national platform because you should be. This is, this work is paramount, but our world needs this message. Uh, And it's a gift. I believe it's truly a gift. So thank you so much. I just want to publicly love on you and say thank you. Any last words for our audience? Um, Remember to say thank you.
1: We have so many gifts in our life. And with all that's going on and all the grief that we're carrying, we have to remember to say thank you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I will say that again. (laughs) And there you have it. Savannah, that's another episode of Courageous Conversations with Cherie. I want to remind you that the View in Express and Preceding Program are not necessarily those of WRUU, its license holder, or its staff. And until next week, Savannah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.